Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. When we did this series right back when we were first planning at Helensvale, we called it Fight on Your Knees, and it really became a series that marked public. It was very significant, and we felt to revisit again, it again, at the end of 2020, which for a lot of people has probably been one of the most challenging years. But the place to fight is in the secret place. And that's what we're going to talk about. We've done a whole series on, on the light of God and being walking in the light. But now we're going to go into a series on prayer. And I believe that this is a call to us as individuals, but us as a church as well. So today is called Pray Like This. And I'm going to take us through a text shortly through Matthew. So if you've got your Bibles, grab your Bibles, please take notes. When I preach, particularly over the series, um, it is really specific that I would love you guys to take notes to help you just really focus and remember what it is that um, that we are. Because I'm going to be praying every couple of weeks, but I'm going to be kind of doing my own series in a series, if that makes sense, because I want to go through the Lord's Prayer. Why don't we close our eyes where we are, and I'm going to pray for us before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that at the start of this Uh, series, Lord. This is not just a good idea or a good caption, but Father, this is something that is life-changing when we really learn to get on our knees before you. And Father, I pray that at the start, Lord, that you would take every word that comes out of my mouth today, that you would put it through the fire, that you would anoint it, Lord, and it would go, Father, and, and bless the hearts, Lord, and land in the hearts of every person here, God, to bring change, to move us closer to you, Father. And I just thank you that today, Lord, that you are going to bring revelation in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... Amen. You know, when I think about the major moments in my life, prayer has always been a crucial part, always. I remember right back to when I was 12 years of age and I had my first revelation that Jesus was with me even when I would have to leave my mom and go and visit my dad because my parents were divorced. And I remember having a revelation about the age of 12. And I remember from that time on, every time I had to leave my mom, because I was one of those kids that liked comfort and had to go and and have a change of routine and go and stay at my dad's, I remember praying and saying, Jesus, I thank you that you are with me. I remember when I was putting down my year 12 preferences, we're going through this in our household with Liam having just finished his exams last week and thinking about what he's doing next year. And I remember sitting in my classroom at the age of 16. I was 16 when I did year 12. And I remember writing down five different preferences. And I remember in my heart praying over them and saying, God, I thank you that you're in control of which of these is meant to be a part of the course of my life. Now, as it turns out, teaching was my fourth preference. And I remember being disappointed for a moment at the time that that's what I got into, teaching, my fourth preference. But I remember also thinking, I prayed over this, and God, I believe that this is your direction for my life. How could I have known that 20 years later I'd be running an academy? You know, God knows what we don't know, and we surrender ourselves to him on a constant basis. It is powerful. I remember finishing uni and being so worried about getting a job. Where will I get a teaching job? And I remember going for various um, jobs, and I remember before I walked into every interview, I would pray. I remember walking down the aisle to marry Cameron 
We were at a wedding yesterday, and it just reminds me every time. We walk, I walked down the aisle to that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I remember walking down the aisle, and in my heart, I was like, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to me and what you've done in my life. I remember when I was told that I was going to miscarry Georgia when I was pregnant with her. The first thing that I did was pray. I remember when I was in the hospital about to give birth to her, and I was petrified. I remember sitting on my bed and reminding myself, God, you are with me right now. I remember afterwards when I would hold her in my arms, and you spend all those days as a mom in your first few weeks, and you kind of like tired and a bit bored because you're home all the time. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to waste this time with my baby girl. I'm not going to waste this time when I'm feeding her or cuddling her or putting her to sleep. And so I used to go through the alphabet and pray over her life. I would start at the letter A and think of something to do with A. And then I'd move to B and C and D and I'd just pull something out of the air and I'd pray it over her life. And I'd get all the way to Z and then I'd start back at A again. I remember before we moved here to Queensland, we prayed about it. I remember we went over the border. I was crying. Cameron was praying. (laughs) I remember that. We drove over the border. And I was like, (laughs) what have we done? And Cameron was like, God, we give this next move to you. This is awesome. And I was like, God, what have you asked of me? No. I'm glad now, by the way. You know, even this week before Liam went off to every exam, we're like, buddy, come here, let's pray. Prayer at the most crucial parts of our life. I remember when Liam was in year four, he had a terrible accident at school, and I was teaching at the time, and someone rushed him into me. It was at the end of the day, and he, and he was brought into my classroom, and he was gushing blood, like I mean like a fountain coming out of his mouth. I didn't know if he had an internal injury, a mouth injury. I didn't know what was going on. All I thought of at the time was, he's going to die from blood loss. His blood was just pouring out. And I remember being so calm and just taking him to the office. And it turned out that what he had done was literally ripped the flesh from the bone inside his mouth. And I remember the doctors going, we've never seen an injury like this before. I'm like, no kidding. And they couldn't understand how, with their massive amount of injury, it took two hours for them to fix it, they couldn't understand how did he not break his jaw. And I'm like, I'll tell you how he didn't break his jaw, because I would always pray over my kids, Psalm 34, verse 29, that not one of their bones shall be broken. Now, Ashton did break his arm a little bit later, and he's like, well, mum, where does your prayer go then? (laughs) And I was like, it was not a full break, number one, it was a green stick fracture, So there you go. And number two, we don't stop believing and praying because we don't get what we've asked for. But you know, this is the thing about prayer. It is powerful. And yet as Christians, it's one of the biggest guilts that we face is that we don't pray often enough or long enough. And I want to lay that to rest today once and for all. And I want this public project to remind us again about how powerful prayer is So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 9, where we're going to look at what Jesus said before he taught about the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to look at just the first verse, the first line of the Lord's Prayer. So let me give you some context here. This is why you need to write things down. 
Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of some very common rabbinical teaching. Remember last week we learned from Shane Willard about how Jesus would have been in rabbi school from the age of 12 to 30. So he's in the middle of some rabbinical teaching and he's talking about three righteous acts that someone had to engage in to be walking right with God. And those three things were giving, fasting and praying. Okay, they're the three things he was talking about. So we start off in Matthew chapter 6, he's talking here about giving. So let's have a look at verse 1 to 4. Be very careful not to do your good deeds publicly to be seen by men, otherwise you will have no reward prepared and awaiting for you with your Father who is in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not blow a trumpet before you to advertise it as the hypocrites do, like actors acting out a role in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honoured and recognised and praised by men. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor and do acts of kindness, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give in complete secrecy so that your charitable acts will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so Jesus is very specific, talking about giving, that we should be doing it in secret so that we will be rewarded. Everyone say secret and rewarded. So God will reward you for what you do in secret. Let's continue with the text. During his teaching, he now moves on to prayer, and he says the same thing. He's again talking about praying in, in, yes, excellent, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Also, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray publicly, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, so they might be seen by men. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have their reward in full, but when you pray... Go into your most private room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in, and your Father who sees what is done in, will reward you. Again, God is saying, he will reward us for what is done in secret. To pray to the Father who is unseen, and he who sees what we do in private, will reward us in public. Now, here is my first, there's two thoughts that we're going to look at today, and here's my first thought, because it is a life principle that Jesus was teaching here, and it is this, our public life is built around our secret life with God. Write that down. Our public life is built around our secret life with God. Your public life, my public life, is built by what we fight on our knees for in private. Our public life is actually a manifestation of our private life. You know, I guess, for example, like I said to you before, I prayed over Georgia through the alphabet day after day after day from the moment before she was born. You know, and people often ask me now, how come your kids are serving God? How come your kids are in church? And, you know, how come Georgia's doing this or that? You know what? There's been things sowing into her life in secret. There's been prayer sowing into her life in the private place. What happens in secret? and in private is manifested in public. We tend to focus more on what's happening in in public, not public, the church, the outside. 
We tend to focus on what's happening on the outside, the part of our life that is seen by others. But if we can get a hold of this key that Jesus is teaching us here, that it is not about your public life. It is not about what your life looks like on the outside. It's not your people skills, your intelligence skills. It's not the course that you're studying or the job that you have. It's not your ability to get up and lead worship or preach. It's not us coming to church. It's all of the things that we're doing in secret, in private, behind closed doors. And if it is not built in secret, it will fall. You know, just this week, on Thursday at the academy, as I was there teaching, it came to light that yet another great man of God has had a a moral fall and has been, um, you know, he's, he's no longer working for the church that he was working for. And it really impacted the students because they really looked up to this person. And I sat my students down and I go, guys, this stuff never just happens like that. A public thing like that doesn't just happen. There would have been secret things happening behind the scenes. It's not, these things aren't a surprise. And because of course it makes them afraid. What if that happens to me? I'm like, tend to the things behind closed doors. Pray behind closed doors. Build your life behind closed doors. On your knees in prayer. Let me give you an example of something that was, is strong now in public that was built because of something in secret. And you might have heard this before, but when Cameron was um, 18, he was playing football for the Brisbane Lions, and he was completely away from God. But Cameron's mum knew that he had a call of God on his life. How did she know that? God told her in the secret place in prayer. She's a prayer warrior. And so Cameron... His public life at the time was a result of his secret life. Football was his idol. He was away from God. He didn't have very good friends. He was into drugs. So you know what Cameron's mum did? She got in the secret place and she prayed. She would take his football boots out of the closet and she would pray over them and she would say, God, these feet that go into these shoes are not meant to be traveling Australia playing football. He is called to travel Australia to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not meant or called to be going around playing football games. He's meant to be going around preaching the word of God. And she would pray over his pillow. God, when he sleeps at night, when he lays down, at night. She would start to pray over his room. She did that for one year, two years, three years. You know, it's really easy if we get our answer in a week, but you try one year, two years, three years, and she kept fighting on her knees in private. And then one day, Cameron's in his car with a mate on his way to getting uh, drugs. I don't know what you were getting. I don't even know because I was a good girl. I didn't do any of that stuff. (laughs) And you know what? He said to the guy, pull the car over. I have to get my life with right, right with God right now. And he got out and he got on his knees in the side of the road and he gave his life to Jesus. And he said, I'm not going to that house. I'm not going to take drugs anymore. He came to church the next day, completely turned his life around. Now you see someone whose feet are anointed to spread the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. But what we see in public was paid for, was built in private by his mum that got on her knees and prayed. I want to encourage you today. If there's something that you're believing for, something that's happening in your life or your family or your marriage or your finances or your children or your whatever it is that you're believing for your future, don't worry about what it looks like on the outside. 
Get into the private place, close the door and get on your knees and start fighting it out with God in the private place. The private place is where battles are won. So our public life is built around our secret life with God. Let's keep going with our text and we'll land on number two and then I'll bring it together. It says this, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, praying as they do, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I want to explain that to you. If we can just leave that verse up for a minute. So Jesus is saying, how do we pray? And I said to you before, we often feel so guilty because we don't use enough words or we don't pray long enough. We don't pray um, for, you know, we, we don't have these fancy words when we pray. But Jesus actually relieves us of that right here. He says, when you pray, don't use meaningless repetition. Or some versions of the Bible say, don't keep babbling. I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall into that trap. I'm praying and then I kind of lose my train of thought and I say the same thing over and over and over or I'm believing for something, can I ask, and I ask, and I ask. It's us that has jacked up the idea of prayer so badly, and we've added all these methods and rules as if God will be happier with our prayers if we say things over and over and we have these fancy words. But Jesus goes on to say, they think they'll be heard for their many words. In other words, it doesn't matter how many words you use. It doesn't matter how long you pray for Prayer is really the breath of your soul, talking to God. That's what it is. It doesn't matter if it's one word, five words, 20 words. If you're an intercessor, go for it and pray for hours. But most of us aren't like that. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's not your many words that makes prayers happen. God is not impressed by the number count or the amount of hours. How have we landed that somehow God is impressed by the amount of prayer in our life? When I think back to what I was saying to you about those moments in my life when I prayed, they weren't long prayers. They weren't long. And then Jesus continues, don't be like them because your Father knows what you need. And then he starts into the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. Those two verses are actually connected and mean the same thing. Your Father knows what you need, and our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, actually means the same thing. And I'll explain that. There's a wavelength flow of the Spirit that's inside this flow where there's a supply of everything that we ever could need. This is my second point, is this. I need to move myself into God. I don't move God onto me. I need to move myself into God. I don't move God onto me. So the pagans ask and ask and ask and ask, but God already knows what they need. We don't have to try and pull something out of God. Oh, I need this, God. God, you've got to come to me. You've got to answer my prayer. What more can I do? I'll fast some more. I'll be more disciplined. I'll use, I'll use more holy words. I'll, and we try and pull God down into our need. But this scripture says, no, 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 no. God already knows your need. We've got to get into the supply of that need. So let me explain this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Write this down. Our Father. That means Father is a supplier. Jehovah Jireh who provides. Shalom, my peace. Rafa, my God who heals. Father means my supplier. The supplier of everything I need. My Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? Heaven, a place I don't know. Where's heaven? 
For starters, this word in the Hebraic was actually heavens. And this helps because it means we're not looking for some one defined place out here. How can we have a real relationship with a father in a place that we can't find or get to? That doesn't make sense. Heaven comes from the word uranos, which 90% of Hellenistic literature says the interpretation of that is the air I breathe or the atmosphere. So now what have we got? My father, my supplier of everything I need, who is as close to me as the air I breathe. And then hallowed comes from the word hugiatza, hugiatzo, H-U-G-I-A-T-Z-O, and that means to become aware of and to acknowledge. So that my father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What that means is, if we were to interpret it in the Hebraic, my supplier of everything I could ever need, that's as close to me as the air I breathe, I become aware of you. That's what hallowed means, to become aware of. Can you see what that means? So can you see how those two verses are linked? That when Jesus is talking about how to pray, he's saying, get in secret, get in your private place, because that's where your public life is built. And then once you're there, don't think you have to use fancy words or lots of words or pray for hours and hours and hours. Your father knows what you need. That's the end of that verse, verse 8, I think it was. And then at the start of the Lord's Prayer, he reiterates it. The supplier of everything you need is closer already than the air you breathe. So just become aware of it. So think of it like this. Think of a waterfall. If you've got a beautiful waterfall cascading down, you're not going to stand there and go, oh, I hope I get wet by just, you know, looking at that waterfall. You have to actually move into the waterfall. That is exactly what this is saying. It's saying you can't do anything to pull God onto you. You can't do anything to move God. We just simply have to move ourselves into his supply because his supply is already there. That's why we don't have to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. He already knows what we need. We just have to move ourselves into his supply by being aware he's already here closer than the air that I breathe. We can't get answers without effort. It's not if I have the right system or enough discipline or the right words, I can move God to answer my prayer. The answer for what you need and the supply for what you need is already closer than the air that you breathe. We just have to step into it, become aware of it. Let me finish with this. And then on your, on your seats, you will find a prayer, it's a prayer request and a praise form. I actually didn't know we were going to have these today, so this worked perfectly. You know, we are going to believe together for some really deep needs in our church. And feel free not to put your name to it if you don't want to. But what we want you to do is to write down something, something in your public life that you're like, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to move on this situation. And together as a family, whatever it is, 
we are going to pray over the next month. And we're not going to pray out of our own ability of trying to move God in. We as a church are just simply going to go, God, we move, we move ourselves into you. Your supply for that need is already here. We become aware of it. You know, there was this elderly man and he was bedridden because he was, he was dying. I read this story this week. It's so beautiful. And he, his daughter came into him and said, Dad, I'm going to call the pastor to come and pray for you. He's like, okay. Anyway, when the pastor came in, there was a chair sitting next to the bed, a beautiful, comfortable chair right next to the bed. And the pastor was like, oh, you know, may I sit down? And he's like, oh, no, would you mind not sitting there? The pastor was like, that's a bit weird. Okay. So he sat on the bed. And the old man said to him, sorry, I didn't mean to be rude, but I've struggled with prayer all my life. I've never felt like I've prayed long enough or good enough. I just struggle to know what to say. And so someone told him, why don't you put a chair next to you and imagine Jesus on the chair and then just have a conversation. And that's what he did. And he said that it changed his life. It changed his prayer life to think of it as Jesus just sitting there and he, him just conversing and just talking like a normal friend-to-friend -friend relationship. So anyway, the pastor prayed and he left. And a few weeks later, the daughter rang the pastor back and he said to him, um, she said to him, my father passed away. But she said the strange thing was, because the, the, the old man had said, please don't tell my daughter about why this chair is here because she's going to think I'm a nutter. But the, the daughter says to the pastor, the strange thing was, my dad wasn't fully in the bed. He was kind of half laying in the bed. Oh, this is so moving. And he had his arm and his head resting on the chair. And I'm like, do you know what that man was doing? In that moment, where he was dying and he had no words, no energy. He was just moving himself into the supply. He was moving himself into the comfort. That chair for him, that was Jesus. He'd been talking to him for months. And the daughter said he looked so peaceful and she had no idea, but the pastor knew. And he was resting on the arm of the chair because he had moved himself into the comfort the supplier of everything that he needed in that moment was there and he just moved himself in. This is what I want us to do. Just for one minute, um, if you could grab a pen, I don't know if perhaps you need a pen and if we've got some spares, we do. If you need a pen, just pop your hand up. Um, I want everyone, if you could write something on here, it could be for somebody else might not even be for yourself whatever you need maybe there's something personally that you're trying to really work through this is going to be private by the way our intercessors team will pray over this Cameron's mom is one of them great prayer warrior and I want you to write down what you're believing for if you finish writing, I just want you to take that and fold it up if you like. And I want you to just keep it in your hand. I'm going to pray over it. Father, I just thank you that you see every 
single word. And beyond that, you see every single heart. And you know every single need. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to blast heaven to somehow, by our works, pull you down into meeting our need. But I thank you that your supply, it's here. And just like that man rested his head on that chair, into your arms, into your comfort, this need that we have, we just move it into the flow of your supply. Like moving ourselves into a waterfall, just by our, our even our consciousness that, Lord, we don't have to try. We don't have to do anything. We just become aware today. Hagatio, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. We are aware of your name and your supply. And I thank you that right now your supply and your flow of anointing is washing over every person in every need 